You know, uh, I'm a lot of things. I, I know some of you probably have some words that come to mind more than others, but among things that I am, I am daddy. I like that one. I'm also son. I'm also poppy. I love poppy. I'm pastor. I'm UNC fan. Everybody around here ought to be happy today. Duke, State, and Carolina all won most recent games. Now, some people don't know what, what I mean by this, but I'm a dermite. Anybody say amen to that? I'm a dermite. Durhamite. I'm a dermite. And I'm proud to be an American. Amen? I'm all those things, and probably if I thought about it, I am many other things too. When we say the phrase, I am, we're about to disclose something about ourselves that describes who we are and what we're all about. In the Gospel of John, there are seven times that Jesus uses the phrase, I am, to describe himself and his ministry and his purpose. I'll read them for you very quickly. In uh, John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8 and in, that, in chapter 9, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. As we make our way through the Gospel of John, looking at a different picture of Jesus in each chapter, we're coming across these I am sayings of Jesus. Of the 21 chapters in John, seven of those contain stories or lessons uh, from, the, from, the, uh, from Jesus about using the phrase I am. Am. Today we're looking at John chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21, how Jesus uses the imagery or the illustration of shepherding in order to teach important spiritual truths and spiritual lessons. Today we're going to look at two statements of Jesus where he says, I am. He says, I am the door, and then he says, I am the good shepherd. So as we read just a few of these verses today, I want to invite you to stand with me as we reverence the Word of God as we read it together. John chapter 10, starting verse number 7, and I'll read through verse 11. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many different glimpses, pictures, illustrations, names, and titles with which you use to help us to understand in earthly terms who you are as our Heavenly Father, who Jesus is as our Savior. And today as we look at these pictures of Jesus and understand what they mean for us, may your word speak to our hearts with truth May your spirit be active to bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment into our souls. And would you help us, Lord, with willing spirits to determine that we are going to follow Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, 
from this day forward as we pray in the great name, the name above all names, the name of the door, the name of the shepherd, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So let's look briefly at a, at a picture of what Jesus is talking about here. And Bill, just go ahead and put that first picture up there on the screen, if you would. There you see a, a picture that, that, that has five images that Jesus calls upon in telling this story or giving this illustration of himself as both the door and the good shepherd. And you'll notice in the picture that you'll see the, uh, you'll see, uh, the, the image of the sheepfold. That's the wall that goes around the outside. You'll see the, the door, which is right there at the front. You'll also see the shepherd sitting there at the door, and you'll see the sheep that are there inside the walls of the sheepfold. And then there's the thief. Does anybody see the thief in the picture up there? We don't see the thief because if you're a good thief, you're not going to be seen in a picture. Amen? <laughs> so Jesus uses this imagery, and as he starts talking and sharing here in John chapter 10, the people immediately come to, to this visualization of what he's talking about. Now we, in the year 2019, we need a, a visual picture to kind of help us understand and to be reminded of it. But, but, but we're going to look today and, and notice that Jesus uses this teaching and this illustration as a further way on top of all the things he's already said and just before all the things he will say about himself, he uses this imagery to teach us to demonstrate and to show he is God. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And so John, as well as the other Gospels and the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, continually demonstrates that God loved us so much, He sent His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So looking at these five lessons today, uh, and, and what they mean for us. The first lesson I want you to notice is a lesson on security. The fact that there is security in Jesus. There is security in Jesus. There is earthly security when we know Christ as our Savior. There is security in our salvation. There is security in His presence. There is security in knowing that He will lead us forward in life. There is earthly security. But even more than that, there is eternal security. We know that whenever this life ends, that we will go to be with the Lord in heaven forever. And this life, no matter how long it lasts, is only temporary. Can I get a witness of that this morning? It's only temporary. This is the second week of February. Yesterday I conducted my fifth funeral so far in the year 2019, and I've attended several others as well. But through Jesus, we have both earthly and eternal Security. Now, now, Bill, put the picture back up there again, if you would, uh, that we just saw. And so as you look at, at this picture, this image that Jesus was talking about, you can notice that the sheepfold is important. And we see the, the, the imagery of security here uh, in the sheepfold. The sheepfold was an enclosure where the lambs or the sheep would come into at night. The shepherd would, would put them in here at night. Usually it was made out of stones. They were, they were piled up or built tall enough to keep the bad things out and to keep the right things in. And, uh, and here we find protection and we find an enclosure. We find safety. The shepherds could get some rest because they knew that the sheep were safely inside the sheepfold. And uh, in verse 1, Jesus says here, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, 
but climbs in by another way is a thief and a robber. So immediately he just mentions the phrase sheepfold, but it creates this image that all of his hearers in that day and in the days of the Bible would easily understand. That there's a sheepfold that provides security for the sheep. And notice the second lesson that we see, and that's a lesson about entry. If, if there's a secure place, then, then how do we get in uh, to that secure place? And so Jesus makes that clear as he identifies himself as the door two different times here in verse 7 and again in verse number 9. Jesus provides entry for us into the sheepfold or into his flock or into the family of God, into eternity. Jesus is that entry. Uh, we enter and exit through a door. Most often, uh, the door was a, just a hole in the wall. Sometimes it was framed in, but oftentimes uh, it was nothing more than just a gap. Now, now, Bill, one more time, put that picture up for me if you would. And I want you to notice in the, in the front of that picture there, you see, you see the gap where the door is, it's framed in, and what's in, what's in the gap? Somebody say it out loud. What's in the gap? The shepherd. Literally, the shepherd served as the door of the sheepfold uh, most often in those days. That way he could, he could determine who comes in and who goes out. He was there for security. He was there for, for watching out. He was there to, 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 for provision. Uh, nothing went in or out without going through the door or going through the shepherd who was there in the door. In the story, Jesus talks about a gatekeeper who knows the shepherd. And there's a further image uh, that often would take place in these sheepfolds. The shepherds would spend all day out in the fields, and then at night there may be one or two or three or four or more different flocks of sheep that at night would all go into the same enclosure. And so the gatekeeper was usually one of those shepherds, just one at a time, would serve as the gatekeeper. And so that one shepherd would have four or five flocks inside the sheepfold, and that one shepherd would serve as the gatekeeper. The other shepherds would get some rest. And so when the, the different shepherds would come in to get their own sheep, the gatekeeper would know who they are. And so Jesus says uh, there in, in verse 7 and again in verse 9 that he is the door. In verse 7, he says he's the door of the sheep. That's important. He's the door of the sheep. And if you picture it this way, they're on the outside where during the daytime is good pasture, but at nighttime is threatening because there are predators. And to go to be the door of the sheep was to be the door for the sheep to go into the security of the sheepfold. And so Jesus said to them, verse 7, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door by which the sheep come in from danger and into the security of the sheepfold. He also points out that he is the door of salvation. And again, an application to us in all of these things. He's the door of salvation. In fact, we could say he's the door into salvation. Verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me. So here he's applying the message. He's not just using the imagery of, of the sheepfold and the shepherd and the door. He's saying, if anyone would come in by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's applying the whole message here. He's saying, I'm the way to come into the family of God. I'm the way to come out of the, 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 the sin and the wickedness and the evil and the threats of the world and, and, and out of sin into heaven because of me, Jesus is saying. I am the door. 
We, we see this all throughout the Gospel of John. Think with me about John chapter 3, the most, perhaps most famous passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not what? Would not perish out in the, in, in the world or perish in sin, perish in darkness, but have eternal life. And in John 3.16, we see this picture of Jesus as the door. The next verse, John 3.17, says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus into the world to make us stay out in the darkness of sin, but in order that the world might be saved through Him, might come into the door of salvation through Him. And then in John 5.24, Jesus said, he said, I say to you that whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life, hearing and believing. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life, from sin to salvation, from outside to inside. How? Through the door, through the gate, through the shepherd, through belief in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we, we recognize there that, uh, that Jesus provides entry. And then thirdly, I want you to notice a lesson on authority or a lesson on the sovereignty of God, who He is, because we recognize that Jesus is in control. He's in control. He is the good shepherd. We see this in verses 2 all the way through verse 18. He's the, the overseer of the flock. And there, there are six different activities that are outlined in, in, in several verses here that point out for us and, and paint this beautiful picture for us of what Jesus does for us as the Good Shepherd. Let's walk through those uh, briefly, if we can. I want you to notice in verses 2 through 4 that Jesus leads the sheep. He's the one who leads the sheep forward. He's the one that leads the sheep into pasture. He leads them into the sheepfold as well. In verse 2, it tells us that the sheep, the shepherd, Jesus, enters the sheepfold by using the door, the one way in and the one way out. He enters by the door, and uh, in verse 3, the gatekeeper, the other shepherd who's guarding the door, lets him in. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. In verse number 3, we see also that the sheep hear his voice, he calls them by name, he leads them out, and when he's brought them out uh, on his own, he goes before them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Jesus very clearly states his authority, his presence, and his authority, not just with the shepherd, other shepherds and with the flock, but he paints this picture that, that he is the one who's in control. Aren't you glad he's the one in control of all things? So he leads the sheep. But we also notice in verses 11 to 13 that he dies for the sheep. The good shepherd actually dies on behalf of the sheep. Now, this is, this is different. This, this would have been a, a twist to the story for the hearers in the days of Jesus because everyone knew that previously, in, in that day especially, that the sheep died for the shepherd. That's how the system worked. The, the shepherd would watch over the sheep to protect them so that the sheep could then be killed uh, for, for meat or it would be sacrificed uh, for the altar for, for religious uh, services there at the temple. The sheep were the ones who died. The shepherd just protected them until they got to that point. The message that we know from the Old Testament up until the days of Jesus was that all have sinned 
And sin brings death. But God provides a substitute, the lamb. But they knew from the Old Testament, the lamb was not the, was, was not the end all. The lamb was not the final thing. The lamb simply pointed to the fact that one day Jesus, was, uh, one day God was going to provide the ultimate lamb to provide the ultimate sacrifice for us. So, 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 so previously, the lamb pointed to a future fulfillment. But now Jesus turns that around and states that the shepherd dies for the sheep. That it is Jesus who becomes the sacrifice. That it is the good shepherd who actually fills the role for which the lamb had been pointing to all of these generations. The message is that all have sinned. Sin brings death. But God provides a substitute who is Jesus. You see, Jesus was not a martyr. A martyr is somebody who dies for a cause. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus died as a substitute. He died in our place and for our sins. And he bore our stripes. He bore our punishment. He took our place in the same way that the lamb foreshadowed that for all those generations. Theologians will tell you that the, the death of Jesus uh, is, is effective for, uh, for those who will believe. But everybody won't believe. The theologians will tell you that the death of Jesus is sufficient for the whole world. But it's efficient for only those who will believe. For all of us who put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we have the confidence that God has forgiven our sins and has reckoned on Jesus the sinful punishment that we ourselves deserve. And so Jesus said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17 and 18, he says, I lay down my life and I have the authority to pick it back up again. I lay down my life. Four times in this passage, Jesus makes it clear that it is he of his own will laying down his own life on behalf of the sheep. We are those sheep. We are the ones who benefit from the death of Jesus. Now, now, this is contrasted uh, with, with those who are, are not good shepherds. You know, every shepherd is not a good shepherd. You know that, right? That's not true in our day. Uh, it is true in our day, and it's true in the day of Jesus as well. There's a contrast here. Verse 12 and 13, Jesus makes this contrast. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. Somebody who's just in it for the money. Somebody who's just getting a paycheck. Uh, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. Because, see, part of the shepherd's responsibilities is to protect the sheep. But if the shepherd is not really invested in the sheep himself, it says here in verse 12, he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. This is a picture of a shepherd. While everything's going okay, he's going to go out and look after the sheep. But the first sign of trouble, he's going to turn tail and he's going to run. Verse 13 says, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, that's not who I am. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Thirdly here, we see that he knows his sheep, verses 14 and 15. He knows his sheep. To know here means much more than just a casual acquaintance. It means much more than just being aware of. 
But it speaks of having a, a close and personal relationship. The shepherd, the good shepherd, who spends so much time with the sheep out in the fields and even in the, in the sheep, sheepfold at night, the good shepherd knows his sheep. And in, for, for example, he knows our names. The good shepherd knows our names. You're not so-and-so to the good shepherd. You're Al. You're Bo. You're Sweetheart or Honey. Because the good shepherd knows your name. Verse 3 speaks about that. He also knows our nature. When, when the shepherd would spend time with the sheep out in the field, the shepherd would know which ones are going to run, which ones are going to stay, which ones are going to, to, to eat all the time, which ones need a little protection, which ones are a little weaker, which ones are a little stronger, which ones are a little more headstrong. He, he gets to know the nature of all these sheep. Why? Because he's spending so much time with them. And then the shepherd knows his sheep because he also knows our needs. He knows what our needs are. He knows what your needs are. He knows what my needs are. For all of us, we need the basic needs met, don't we? We need shelter. We need food. We need clothing on a day like today. We need heat. And thank the Lord for HVAC systems, right? He knows we have those needs. But we also have needs for security, needs for companionship, Needs for relationship. Relationship with Him that He provides. Relationship with one another, which is one of the great blessings of being a part of a church. He knows our needs, all that they are. In the Old Testament, the same imagery of a shepherd is given for us in, in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Beautiful imagery that carries over Old Testament, New Testament, even up until today. So he knows his sheep. But also notice in verse 14, he is known by his sheep. It's not just a matter that Jesus is up there in heaven looking down at us and he knows everything and he sees everything. He knows your needs and my needs and your nature and my nature and your name and my name. But he's way up yonder somewhere. No, not only does the shepherd know the sheep, but the sheep can know the shepherd. And that's what we need to be thankful for, mindful of, and giving our attention to. That not only does he know us, but we can know him. As the, as the sheep spent time around the shepherd, they got to know him. They got to understand his tendencies. They got to know when the sun comes up on that beautiful sunrise, they, they knew that, that sooner or later the shepherd's coming and he's going to call them. They knew at a certain point of day, perhaps, that the shepherd would have them all gathered together maybe and lie down and get some rest. I, they, they knew the tendencies and the voice and the calling and the nature of the shepherd. Why? Because just as the shepherd spent time with the sheep, the sheep spent time with the shepherd. And when you and I spend time with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we spend time reading His Word, when we spend time in prayer, really listening for the still, small voice of God, when we spend our time looking for opportunities to represent Him to others and to talk to others about Him, when we spend time in worship, whether it's just us by ourselves or in a family devotion or in a connect group on a Sunday morning or in a worship service here in the sanctuary or next out in the gym, when we spend that time with our Savior, we get to know Him. And there are many of us, we, we have a hard time grasping it. There, there are people I've talked to before that the, the very thought of getting to know God on a personal level was so foreign 
when God makes it so clear that we can get to know him. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And then listen to this. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. We have the opportunity of having a personal relationship with God through Christ. The fifth thing we see here uh, about the authority of the shepherd, that Jesus is in control, is, is that he pursues other sheep. There, there's other sheep out there that he's going after. Not, not just this flock, but, but there are other sheep out there that he wants to come and join the flock as well. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And here, he's referring to the Gentiles. Jesus came to the Jews. He's telling this story to the Jews. He's preaching to the Jews. He's surrounding himself with his disciples who are Jews. And he's saying to them, I'm here for you guys. And you're now all a part of my flock. But understand that I've come for the world. I've come for everybody. There were these walls of division. There were these racial prejudices between the Jews and the Gentiles. The, the Jews would look down on the Gentiles, and the Gentiles didn't like the Jews. And if you follow history, even till today, you see that same animosity in many different parts of the world. It's amazing how that continues to play out and work out. But when Jesus came into the world, he said, I am the good shepherd, and I'm going out into all the world. And I'm going to gather other sheep to come in. And notice that when the sheep come in, they're not differentiated. He says there that there's going to be one flock. There's going to be uh, uh, just one shepherd for everybody. And in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says to his sheep, his followers, you and I, he says, go and make disciples of who? All nations, all people groups. Go, to, go to, the, to the white and the black. Go to the yellow and the red. Go to the, to, to the, to the brown and the everything, every shade in between. And, and bring them in and make disciples and bring them into the flock. If you read in Revelation, that great scene of worship at the, at the, in heaven where, where people from every nation, every tribe, every flavor of humanity is gathered around the throne. Why? Because the gospel is for everyone. And we must be mindful that the gospel is for everyone. In John 3, 16 and 17, which we shared just a few minutes ago, for God so loved who? The world, all the people of the world. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn it, but that the world might be saved through him. Now, sixthly, I want you to notice here that Jesus, as the good shepherd, delivers his sheep. He delivers the sheep. When, uh, uh, when he gave his life, he laid it down voluntarily. And when he suffered on the cross and died and was buried, he did that as our substitute. He did it to fulfill the purpose of the lamb. The lamb and the sacrifice have been pointing to Jesus all these centuries. And now Jesus himself gives himself as the sacrifice. He dies. He is buried. But what delivers us is that on the third day he was raised from the dead. He was raised. To the people, Jesus was killed at the hands of the Romans who'd been persuaded by the Jews. But to God, Jesus went to the cross to lay down his life willingly. They came and arrested him in the garden, but they did, that's not why he went to the cross. 
He says, I have the authority to lay down my life and I have the authority to take it back up and I lay down my life willingly. Verse 17 and 18, Jesus speaks about that. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again, that the sheep may be delivered into the, the shepherd, in, into the, the sheepfold, into eternal life, into the people of God. Now there's a fourth lesson here that I want to notice, and that's a lesson on identity. Our response displays our identity. Our response to Jesus, our response to the Good Shepherd displays our identity. Are you a sheep following the shepherd? If you are a sheep following the shepherd, then your response will indicate that. Your response to the message of the gospel, your response to living out your, your professed Christian life, because the sheep, Jesus pictures, says here, hear and respond to his voice. Don't you notice a picture there on the screen there? This is a picture of what, what probably happens when, when the shepherd calls and the sheep come running. That's, that's me and Al and Shay there and, and the sheep. I'm not going to mention which one might be in the middle. Probably Shay's not here. Shay's in the middle. That's him. But when the shepherd calls, the sheep perk up and they listen and they come running. Verse 3 says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5 says, a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. I've thought about this. What, can't anybody just go out and call a flock of sheep? I found on the, on the internet a little video where they did an experiment to see if if people would, would follow, if the sheep would follow the voice of just anybody, or if they'd wait and hear the voice of their own shepherd. See what, see what this looks like. I wish I would just say all oh, about me sometime, but that's okay. <laughs> Thank you, Al. But it just goes to show the sheep are out there, and they don't just listen to anybody. They listen to who? Their shepherd. And if we're going to be the sheep of the good shepherd, Jesus, then we listen for his voice, and we follow his voice when he calls. I wonder this morning how... Well, how effective are we at listening and following the voice of our shepherd, the only shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus? Those sheep, when those other people called them, they didn't budge. And so often there are voices calling out to get our attention 
to pull us away from the good shepherd, to pull us into sin of all kinds, into temptation of all kinds, into things that we should not be doing of all kinds. And those voices come at us from the radio, from the TV, from the newspaper, from, from our friends, from, from any group that we're with out in culture there. When, when those voices come, they ought to be met with a deaf ear. And yet sometimes we're so quick to listen and follow those voices and not follow only the voice of our shepherd. One, one last lesson that we can learn here, and that is that there's a lesson about opposition. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. He's a thief. We have an enemy that is out to get us. Three things about this enemy that I'd point out to you. First of all, he's deceptive. He's a deceiver. Verse number one says, speaks of uh, how, how the thief climbs in another way besides the door. The thief doesn't come in the door. The thief doesn't walk up to the shepherd at the door and say, Oh, by the way, I want to come here and steal five of your sheep. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go in the door. The only way in legitimately, he climbs over the wall. He does something illegitimate. He goes after the sheep in a deceptive way. He might present himself as the shepherd, but he's really not. He might attempt to obtain the sheep in some way that's not, uh, not realistic, but, but he tries and he carries it out so that he might steal the sheep from the shepherd. And we know that that thief, our enemy, is the devil. He's deceptive, but he's also destructive. He's destructive. He's, he's bent on destruction. And verse number 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. See, the true shepherd comes to bring life. The true shepherd comes to save. The true shepherd comes to provide protection for us. The thief takes what is not his. The thief comes to take advantage of the sheep. The thief comes to harm the sheep, to exploit the sheep for his personal gain. Verse 8, Jesus said, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, trying to be the shepherd of the sheep when that's not their role, that's not their place. And even today, there's a, a voice, there are voices crying out to, 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 to get the attention of the sheep and to, and to come in by a way other than the door and, and, and to, 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 to rob and steal. But, but recognize that our enemy, the thief, is deceptive and destructive, but he's also defeated. Somebody say amen to that? He's defeated. In verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Then Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. If we're living an abundant life following the shepherd, that means the sheep hadn't, hadn't been successful. That means he's been defeated. That means he has been destroyed. In fact, in 1 John 3, 8, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus came into the world was to destroy the works of the devil. And so our thief enemy might look quite imposing, but as long as you and I determine we're going to follow the sheep. We're going to walk with our Savior. We're going to only go where He leads and only follow where He directs. Then we'll be in great shape in a great position. Now, there are three different responses to Jesus that we see in this passage of Scripture. As Jesus shared this story, a very clear story, especially to the people in the first century when Jesus was sharing it. When he shared this story, there were three different responses that were true then because they're recorded in Scripture. But the same three responses are also uh, recorded for us today. This is how we may choose to respond. The first way to respond is by division. 
is by division, by stirring things up about this message of Jesus. Verse 19 says, There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. People argued about the meaning of what Jesus was saying. People argued about the fact that Jesus called himself the good shepherd who was laying down his life for the sheep. He, they were arguing about who, who does he think he is. And they were causing a division among the people. Today, when the gospel message goes out, people are divided over what it means and what it says. And they'll argue for this or they'll argue for that. They'll argue for this thief or that thief, but, but, but not latch on to the true shepherd. A second response is just simply to deny. The response of denial. Verse 20, many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Then they asked this question, why listen to him? We shouldn't listen to them. To him, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's out of his mind. He's a lunatic. And people today are still saying the same thing. But the third response is a response of discipleship. Notice verse 21. Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? He had just opened the eyes of the man born blind in, in the previous chapter. And so, so, so we see here that, that there, you can either be divided over it and argue and stir up trouble and say Jesus is a liar, or you can, you can deny all the things that he says and all the miracles he performed, including the resurrection, and, and you can say he's a lunatic, or you come to the realization that he is exactly who he says he is. He is the Lord. He is a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord. And we each have to make that determination, that decision. Who is Jesus for you? Who is Jesus for me? And just by showing up at church on a Sunday doesn't demonstrate what choice you've made. It's how we live our lives Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's how we give our time. It's how we represent our faith. It's how we speak to others. It's how we make decisions about jobs and family and careers and, 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 and finances and, and, and service of our Lord. It's how we respond when difficulty comes. It's how we hear and believe. That's what it says over and over and over again. So the question is, have you gone through that door by trusting Jesus as your Savior? And are you seeking to lead others into that door of salvation? Are you living your life for him? John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Is that abundant life characterized in your life? What steps need to take place. Because, you know, in another place, Jesus told a story of the 99 sheep that just stayed right there tight, but the one sheep wandered away. And what did he do? He went and got that sheep. And I would dare to say that I'm not the only one who would be that one sheep to wander away. I imagine it's most of us. We'd be that one. And when we wander away, the shepherd comes looking for us, and he wants to bring us back in. So if you've been wandering away and wandering around, just know today the voice of the shepherd is calling you back to him. If you've never entered the door by trusting Jesus as Savior, just know the voice of the shepherd is calling out to you that you too may join the flock 
that you too may come into eternal life by putting your faith and your trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to stand with me, if you will. We're going to sing our last song here in just a moment. And as we do, I'd love it if it was an opportunity for you to just evaluate what you've heard today. Evaluate what the Scripture says. Evaluate what it means in your heart and in your life. And for you to take steps of faith to believe, steps of obedience to follow all that God has in store for you. If while we're singing this song, you'd like somebody to talk with you or pray with you, I'd be glad to hang out here at the front and you just make your way down here. If after the service you'd like someone to chat with for just a minute, you find Rodney or Al or one of our deacons or connect group leaders, and be sure not to leave this place until you have somebody to encourage you and to assist you and point you towards the Good Shepherd. Our Heavenly Father, we just ask even now that you'd be with us during this time of invitation. Well, we invite every person here to respond to this beautiful message of the shepherd and the gate and the opportunity we have to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for providing all that we need. Give us a simple childlike faith to believe and to follow and even now to make any adjustments in our faith, in our actions, in our, in our willingness, in our hearts that you might be glorified by all that we say and all that we do. Even now as we sing, Lord, use this as a time to solidify our walk with our Savior as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.